0: Good morning. morning. Hey, you guys sound really good. You look good. Some of you have put on a little bit of holiday weight. I myself have done the same. Unfortunately, my holiday weight is from 1994, so I don't know that it counts anymore as holiday weight. Um, It's really, really, really good to be back here this morning. Um, Some of you know me. Uh, many of you don't, and so I just want to tell you a little bit about myself, and for some of you, this will just kind of get to know me a little bit, and then for some of you, this will be an update. Uh, my name is Lucas Cooper. I'm a senior pastor of a church called Bayview Glen Alliance Church, Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I absolutely love it there. Uh, I served here as a pastor on staff for eight years under uh, Jamie's leadership. A guy named Larry Anderson hired me. I worked with Joe Gordon, with Steve Erickson, with so many uh, the other pastors on staff here, I've I played uh, with everyone on stage except for Matt, the bass player, so I know those guys real well, and uh, it's just a joy to be back. And in my last couple of years here at Scottsdale Bible Church, uh, Jamie came to me, and I was leading worship. Actually, Derek now has uh, my job over at the venue. I helped launch the venue that's meeting over there uh, on, uh, this morning, right now, actually. And um, Jamie came to me, and he said, I'd like for you to go to seminary. And I said, well, that's a stupid idea because I'm a worship leader and why wouldn't you send me to school to learn how to read music? I didn't know how at the time, I still don't. And he says, well, you know, I kind of have a plan. And I said, all right, sure, you've got a plan. So I went to seminary, I started going to seminary and I started to teach. I started to teach here in the pulpit. I started to teach over at the venue. I taught at Marketplace Bible Study for a year, a Bible study of guys that meets on Wednesday morning. I saw some Marketplace guys uh, this morning. And I began to feel this uh, kind of stirring in my heart uh, that God was leading me to teach and lead, and he was kind of guiding me into a senior pastorate, and I shared that with Jamie, and Jamie said two things. He said, he said first, uh, I've known that for three years, so ke- thanks for catching up. I said, wow, you know everything. Um, and then he said, the second thing is, we already have a senior pastor here, that's me, and so I'm not giving my job up and... And I said, well, you, you, yeah, just wait. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't. I said, <laughs> he said, let's go find you a, a place to, to do that, to teach and lead. And, 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 and this is a great leadership decision, by the way. I just, I love what Jamie said to me. He said, look, you're doing great here. Yeah, you know, you're making an impact for the kingdom here. We love you. You're, you're awesome. You can work here for the rest of your life if you want to. But he said, look, here's our goal at Scottsdale Bible Church is not to steward people to make Scottsdale Bible Church great. We want to make Jesus great. We want to make much of him. And so we're okay letting you go somewhere else uh, to do what God has called you to do. So for the very first time that morning at about 9.30, I admitted to Jamie, uh, for the very first time out loud to anybody, God was calling me to be a senior pastor. Six hours later, I got an email from a church in Canada. And I'm going, oh God, anywhere but Canada. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I'll go to Africa, you know. Uh, and you know what, it's funny that uh, the guy who uh, was the, the, the chair of the search committee uh, for that church in Canada is uh, here this morning in one of these two services. Two of my elders are here this morning. They're vacationing down here, getting away from the balmy 50 degree weather that we have uh, right now. Uh, somebody joked with me this morning, your elders are here, two of your elders. I said, yeah, they, they said, that sounds like you're still on probation, bud. Um, <laughs> so since, since I've been uh, the senior pastor at Bayview Glen Church, I've actually made a number of phone calls here. Uh, just, you know, I get into these situations, I don't quite know what to do. And I, I look down at my bracelet, my WWJD bracelet, and I think, you know, what would Jamie do? And... Um, <laughs> And if I can't figure it out, you know, I call and, and been really supportive. It's been great over the past 16 months. Uh, the church that I'm pastoring at has doubled in size, so that's been a lot of fun. And we've seen uh, people come to Christ uh, all, from all over the place. You have over 110 nationalities represented and about, I don't know, 900 people or so that would be there on any given Sunday morning, over 60 mother tongues. Uh, the next thing that we're going to do to reach the community there um, in Thornhill and in the greater Toronto area is offer live translation services of sermons we have so many people that speak so many different languages there. It's so, so fun uh, to be a pastor there. I, I, you know, this always feels like home coming back here, but the reality is I've been there for 16 months, uh, you know, we just feel so settled there and, and we just absolutely love Bayview Glen Church. And if you're ever in Toronto, as some of you actually have, some of you probably in this place have actually been to Bayview Glen, you're always welcome to come visit us when it's, you know, July and hot here. Uh, The other thing that many of you, uh, some of you know this, many of you probably don't, but my wife and I have been in the adoption process for the last couple of years, and when we moved to Canada, it kind of derailed that process a little bit, and then we got back on track, and four months ago, we brought this little girl home. Um, Her name is Kaya Elizabeth Sincere Cooper. And we took this picture when someone uh, told her that Tom Brady was better than Aaron Rodgers. She just, she laughed and laughed. She thought that was so funny. So uh, we took this picture when we told her that we actually live in Canada. We're not just (laughs) vacationing here. She said, what you talking about, Willis? Um, So she she is such a punk and she's so sweet and, and she's really an easy baby. Uh, I, I really love her so much. My wife and I love her so much. She is so cute. She, like, I mean, the Christ child was cuter. Other than that, like, that she is, she's cuter than all your kids, by the way. Um, so thanks for praying us through that process. It's just, it's such a joy to be back here. Uh, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna get into the word of God together. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for the gifts that you give us in community. Thank you for the gift of Scottsdale Bible Church in this community of faith uh, that was our home for eight years. Thank you for Bayview Glen. God, I even lift up, lift up Kevin now as he preaches this morning and ask that you would um, use him as your mouthpiece to, to uh, inspire and encourage that community of faith. And really, God, communities of faith all around the world that are meeting and making much of Jesus today. Uh, we are so grateful to kind of join with that chorus of voices making much of you this morning. God, would you move me out of the way in these next 35 minutes? Would your voice be the only voice that's heard and that people would walk away and they would not remember my name or the name of Scottsdale Bible Church, but they would remember one name and one name alone in the name of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Well, how many of you recognize these words? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire world would be registered. Anybody recognize those words? Good, good. It's the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And that would be the Christmas story that my dad would read to us growing up, and my mom would read to us growing up. So before we opened presents, we would gather around the table, uh, or we would gather around the Christmas tree, and my dad would open up his Bible, and my mom would open up her Bible, and they would read to us that Christmas story. And you know, the shepherds showed up, and people went to Bethlehem, and glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. And Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. It was great, except it was twenty-one verses. And I wanted to open presents. I was like, hey, you know, it's like, let's get through this. So uh, imagine this with me, we gather around the tree and my dad says to us, hey, here's the deal. This year, we're gonna skip all the context. We're gonna skip all the fluff. We're gonna gonna skip all the the traditional Christmas story and what we're gonna do is we're gonna get to Luke's conclusion. We're just gonna go straight to the peak, straight to the grand finale, straight to the zenith of the Christmas story. And you can imagine me and my older brother and my younger sister going, yes, let's get it over with. Just go straight to the conclusion. That sounds wonderful. And my dad goes, okay, that's great. Let's do that. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter three, verse 23, and I'm gonna read to you Conclusion to those three chapters that he tells us the Christmas story at the beginning of the book of Luke. And it goes like this Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath. I just want you to know I'm reading the whole thing. The son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosim, the son of Elmedam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, Eli Ezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Menah, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. This is the word of God, please, okay? The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, and we're getting a little antsy. We're ready to open presents at this point. The son of Amminadab, the son of Admon, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I mean, how bad would that have been? I mean, we're in church, we're crying out loud, and like, haven't you just checked out? Like, what in the world? Why did they invite him back? This is horrible. But it's interesting to me because uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel begins, Matthew chapter one, verse one, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus. This is Matthew's, like, catch his readers' attention from verse one. That's what he uses to draw his readers in. That Boring genealogy. And for Luke, that's his climax. That's his zenith. That's his conclusion. That's the big grand finale of those first three chapters when Luke tells us the Christmas story. After that, he launches into the ministry of Jesus as an adult. So here's my question. Why in the name of thunder would they have included that? You know, if you're like me and you believe that the word of God is inspired, that this book is breathed out by God, he put that in there for a reason, did he not? like so so why but even if you don't, even if you're here in this place, you're like, I don't know that that's an inspired book. Okay, let's just, let's take God out of the equation for a minute. The two authors, Matthew and Luke, that write a biography of the life of Jesus called the gospel, the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke, both of them include it. And both of them include the genealogy of Jesus in a very prominent place. So even if God wasn't a part of it, why in the world would those authors choose to include that genealogy as part of, not just part of, a highlight of the Christmas story? Why? What is it there for? So here's our bottom line truth this morning, and I want to unpack this this morning. This is what we're going to do all morning is unpack unpack this one truth. Look up here on the screen. It's this. It's the genealogy of Jesus. His story is of critical importance for understanding who he is and what he came to do. The genealogy of Jesus, that is his story, is of critical importance for understanding who he is and what he came to do. We simply cannot understand the richness and the depth of the incarnate son of God's mission on this earth and his person unless we understand the story into which he was born, and that story is reflected in his genealogy. So as boring as it might have just sounded, it really is thrilling. It really is captivating if you understand what's going on behind the scenes of this genealogy because it's reflecting a story into which Jesus was born. So I need you to know today that, that this sermon might be a little bit different. I mean, a couple of things that I try to do when I preach. One is I, I'd like to give you really practical tools, like things that you can apply at family dinner tonight or at work tomorrow morning or whatever it is. The other thing I, I really believe about the Bible is it's not meant to be complicated. God didn't like, you know, you know make it really difficult to understand. He, he wants us to understand and apply the word of God. But today, this sermon's gonna be neither of those things. <laughs> Not really simple because the story we're going to look at unfolds over generations. It involves betrayal and murder and marriage and failed marriage and war and kingdoms and whatever else. It, it involves all those things in the, you know, the epic movies that we go pay $15 to see, right? So it's not terribly easy. It's not terribly simple, and it's not really immediately applicable either. You would not walk away and go, wow, I have a practical tool to put to use tomorrow morning at work. But listen, listen. If you listen close this morning of the story of Jesus, here's what I hope that you walk away with. I hope that you walk away loving him more. I hope that you walk away serving him more. I hope that you walk away trusting him more and worshiping him more as we take the stories of the old testament and put them together and see the trajectory of redemptive history see the entire story into which jesus was born and walk away and go oh god you are awesome You are sovereign and good, and you put this together. I stand in awe of your grand redemptive plan. That's what I'm hoping for. And so before we go any further, I'm gonna ask you to do something I typically would not ask you to do, and I'm gonna ask you to put your Bible away. For some of you, if you need to keep your Bible out and you need to hang on to it just in case you feel like you need to check something that I say, feel free to do that. If you you like to hold on to something for comfort, that's okay. But what I want you to hear this morning, I just want you to hear the story into which Jesus was born. And that story is reflected in his genealogy. This is why the genealogy of Jesus matters. The Bible begins this way, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was void and without form and the spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep and God said let there be light and there was light and God divided the light from the dark and he called the light day and he called the dark night. And God continued to create sun and moon and planets and stars. He created the earth and the water and the sky and the sea and fish and birds and plants and animals. Then God came to the pinnacle of his creation and God said, let us make man in our own image. And God created male and female and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And God placed his creation Adam and Eve into the world that he created for them. He gave them a task. He walked with them. He loved them. He was their God. But it didn't last. The woman was tempted to walk away from God, and she did. The man was not far behind. Each of them rebelled against God's perfect plan. They put themselves in God's place. They worshiped self rather than God, proclaiming to be wise, they became fools and earned for themselves due penalty for their rebellion. And that penalty was death, both spiritual and physical. Now this wouldn't make much difference for us today except that the world still groans under the curse of Adam. We, like our first parents, have inherited from them a propensity to disobey. We have inherited that same self-worship. We've inherited that same sin nature. And as a result, we have inherited that same consequence, death, both spiritual and physical. Well, Adam and Eve, our first parents, first man and first woman, had children, two boys. You think your boys fight? These boys fought. (laughs) One day, Cain and Abel both came to God to offer their sacrifice. Abel offered his sacrifice in faith and God accepted it. Cain did not offer his sacrifice in faith and God rejected it. Abel rejoiced. Cain became jealous and killed his brother. So in Genesis 4.10, God proclaims that Abel's blood cries out from the ground and declares condemnation for Cain because he's killed his innocent brother. So Cain ran from his creator just like his dad did. And he settled in Nod, east of Eden, Generations later, first humans had grown into an entire human race, but they still had not grown past that curse of Adam. And humanity would see the curse of Adam completely unbridled. Genesis 6-5 tells us that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine that? Every intention the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. So God judged humanity and sent a flood that carried out the death sentence that Adam had earned. But in his mercy, God allowed for a man named Noah and his family to pass through the waters of judgment. God, rich in mercy, instituted a plan for restoration, a plan for redemption, a plan of grace. The flood subsided, Noah and his family settled and began to repopulate the earth. The human race grew again. And from this still corrupted human race, God called a simple man named Abram to leave his country and his people and his father's household and to follow God in faith. And by faith, Abraham followed God. When Abraham was 99 years old and his wife Sarah was 90, they had no children, and needless to say, they were well past childbearing years. Yet God promised a son. Not only did he promise to son, he promised that Abraham would be the father of multitudes. God said to Abraham, can you number the stars in the sky? Can you count the sand on the seashore? Abraham said no, and he said, so will your descendants be. They will number like the stars in the sky. They will number like the sand on the seashore. And Abraham's going, I'm 99 and my wife is 90. Can I explain to you, this is not going to work. And Abraham did exactly what you and I would do if we were 99 and God promised that we were going to have a kid he laughed <laughs> and God fulfilled his promise doesn't he always and gave Abraham a son and God named the son Isaac which means laughter I think that's kind of funny <laughs> Isaac grew God called Abraham again this time God's request would require far more faith God said, take your son, Abraham, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And by faith, Abraham trusted God with his son and led him up Mount Moriah. And just before Abraham's knife was going to plunge down into his son and offer him as a burnt offering before the Lord, God spoke again. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing as how you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God provided a ram for sacrifice, and Isaac's life was spared. He was, in fact, the child of promise. So Isaac grew. He had boys of his own. You think your boys fight? These boys fought. Jacob and Esau. Genesis 32 tells us that Isaac's son Jacob had his own face-to-face experience with God and called the place Peniel, which means the face of God. God blessed Jacob that day and changed his name to Israel. And from Israel came the 12 tribes of Israel. So, according to God's promise, from the seed of Abraham, the nation of Israel began to grow. And Abraham's descendants would be like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the seashore. Now, if Jacob was here with us today and we asked him if he had a favorite kid, if he was being honest now, he would tell us that he did. That son's name was Joseph. So Joseph's brothers became jealous and sold their brother into slavery into Egypt but Joseph remained faithful to Yahweh and God eventually elevated Joseph to second in command in Egypt and a famine hit God's children the people the God the people of God the sons of Abraham the sons of Isaac the sons of Jacob the nation of Israel were starving because of the famine so they ran to the only place they knew to run to Egypt And they begged the brother that they had sold into slavery nearly 50 years before for his help. Joseph, at the right hand of the king in Egypt, forgave his brothers and provided food for God's people. What his brothers had intended for evil, God had intended for good. And God accomplished his purpose in Joseph. The nation of Israel continued to grow, but new pharaohs meant new policies, new attitudes, new cultures. What Joseph had done to protect Egypt from the famine was soon forgotten, and the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years until God had had enough and called a redeemer for his people. Moses, God said. Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let My people go. If you know the story, you know that Pharaoh refused. So God did a little bit of convincing. He started to send plagues on the nation of Egypt because he wanted his people, Israel, the sons of Abraham, the sons of Isaac, the sons of Jacob, to be set free. So he sent plagues, locusts, gnats, frogs, hail, boils, pestilence, and Pharaoh still wouldn't budge. So God sent a tenth and final plague. Before he did, God told the nation of Israel, take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and sacrifice it. Smear the lamb's blood on the doorposts of your homes, so when the angel of death carries out God's judgment on Egypt and takes the firstborn of every household, he will pass over your homes, and your lives will be spared. So they did as God said. And the blood of the Passover lamb proved sufficient for escaping the judgment of God. Moses continued to lead God's people out of Egypt and toward the land that God had promised to Abraham. And though Israel was perpetually faithless, God was always faithful. God provided bread from heaven called manna. It was Israel's daily sustenance from God. God gave Moses the law that declares God's passion for his people, a call to worship him alone, and it really declared God's unrelenting grace. God established a day of restoration called the Sabbath so that people could find rest and renewal in God. God stipulated the construction of a mobile tent called the tabernacle where the very presence of God dwelt physically with the people. When Israel needed a substitute to stand in their place and accept the penalty that Adam had earned, a substitute to stand in on their behalf, God established a sacrificial system by which the sins of the people were transferred onto a spotless lamb. When Israel needed a delegate to go before the holiness of God and perform the sacrifice on their behalf, God established a priesthood through the line of Moses' brother Aaron The priests served as Israel's representatives before God. When Israel needed a seasonal marker of God's grace, God established a year of jubilee in which uh, in, in the entire year, all debts were forgiven and all captives were set free. And when God saw fit, he sent a successor for Moses named Joshua that finally led those 12 tribes descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob into the land God had promised. Israel finally inhabited the promised land after generations of waiting, but God was not finished. God wanted a kingdom, a throne. So God raised up a young, humble shepherd boy from a no-name town called Bethlehem to be king in Israel. And King David flourished. He unified those once disconnected and nomadic tribes. He established Israel's capital in Jerusalem. Check this out. King David expanded the territory of Israel from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles. He brought back the tablets that God had written on for Moses into Jerusalem, the capital that he had established, and if that wasn't enough, David wrote all the nation's favorite worship songs. And God promised David an everlasting kingdom. But David fell. He made a poor choice. And then to conceal it, he made another poor choice, and then another, and then another. And when David died and his son Solomon took over, the kingdom was already headed toward an inevitable, bitter end. During King Solomon's reign, God established the permanent temple that replaced the temporary tabernacle. God's presence dwelt there just as it had in the tabernacle. Jerusalem was the epicenter of the Hebrew world, but again, it didn't last. As always, the nation strayed. Division took the place of unity. 12 unified tribes of Israel became two tribes in the southern kingdom of Judah and 10 tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel. And with a split kingdom, They were going down no matter what. God sent prophets like Isaiah one after another after another to call Israel back to him. He warned them. He pleaded with them. God's grace was unrelenting. Israel didn't listen. They ignored the prophets. They forgot God's law. They abandoned the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God who had been so faithful for so many generations was now a distant memory The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem lay in ruins, and the nation of Israel was exiled from its own land to a pagan nation called Babylon. Babylon. And the dream was over. But not for God. He sent prophets like Ezra and Nehemiah. They called the people to repentance. They rebuilt Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple, and for a time, hope was renewed. But again, it didn't last. The second temple era lacked the spiritual vitality of the first. Israel still couldn't seem to remain faithful to Yahweh and Israel fell away again. Now listen really closely. It was at this time when redemptive history had reached a pinnacle. When talk of a chosen one began to gain popularity and intensity in Israel. The concept of a Messiah had really been part of the Jewish faith for a very, very long time. But now, having endured slavery in Egypt, having endured captivity in Babylon, having endured oppression in Rome, it was as if the nation of Israel was audibly groaning for a forgiver like Joseph, for a redeemer like Moses, and for a king like David. They longed for the presence of God to dwell with them physically as it had in the days of the tabernacle and the temple. They longed for temple worship to be restored so they could return to sacrifices and a priesthood and right worship of Yahweh. They longed for a prophetic voice to call them back to God. And it is here that the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi and the prophet of God writes these words, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. And Israel waited for a chosen one. You ever watch those um, <clears throat> home renovation shows on TV? Like the ones, the ones where they build like a brand new home for a family that everybody really likes. And, you know, they do a story about them and it's great. And they build this home. I like those shows. I, l- I like them a lot. You know, my wife always cries at the end. I get allergies at the end. I, I'll, I'll, I'll confess. That sometimes I get allergic to those things. But... Um, You you know, the end of those shows when when the home is done, when the house is done, that's not really the best part, is it? I mean, the house is important. The house is there so a family could occupy it. But the reality is, or as Jamie would say, the reality reality is, uh, sorry, The reality is the best part of those shows is when that family takes occupancy, right? And they run into this house that was built for them and and they, and they inhabit the home and there's joy and renewal and hope when the family inhabits the home that was built for them and a house becomes a home. And you know, at the end of those shows, the story doesn't end there, does it? Because we've got anniversaries left to celebrate and birthdays and all of the joy that comes with a family living in a home. And I love those shows because a lot of times those families that they build homes for, they're like the most hospitable people on the planet, aren't they? They do like that big crane shot and there's like 2,000 people at the end of those shows and they've all come to celebrate with his family because they all love them and they know that the family occupying the house, that's really the best part. That house was built for them. Listen close. In the same way, God had been preparing a house for his people for thousands of years. Every room was furnished. The landscaping was immaculate. The kitchen was fully stocked. We were just waiting on the host to occupy the house so that it became a home. And then he would invite his guests from every nook and cranny of the world to enjoy the home that God had prepared called Redemption. So when Luke takes great pains to locate Jesus firmly within an Old Testament context... By including that genealogy, he is pleading with you and me to see that Jesus is the person that God's redemptive plan was built for. Jesus is the person that occupies the home. It was built for him. Jesus is the banquet host, and he is ready and waiting for his guests to join him in the home, so much so that he tells people to go out and invite and compel people from the highways and hedges to come in so that my, what, house may be filled. So today, I want you to see that each piece of Hebrew history Each character in the nation of Israel, yes the nation of Israel even itself, the entire Old Testament screams the name of Jesus. They're not just little stories about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and about Daniel in the lion's den. They proclaim the name of Jesus and each piece builds a home for Jesus to inhabit called God's redemptive plan. He is the home that God built, or he is the inhabitant of the home that God built in the Old Testament. So here's how we're gonna conclude. I want you to see exactly how Jesus fulfills every Old Testament promise. I want you to see exactly how he fulfills everything that we just covered from Adam all the way up to when he showed up 2,000 years ago. You'll see up here on the screen, everything that I'll read, there's a scripture reference for each one, just so you know that I'm not just making this stuff up. This is exactly what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Through Adam, we inherited corruption and death. And through Jesus, we inherit renewal and eternal life. Jesus is the true and better Abel. Though Abel's blood cries out from the ground for his brother's condemnation, the blood of Jesus cries out from the ground for our release and rescue. Jesus is the true and better Noah because our baptism in him allows us to pass through the waters of eternal judgment and into the free eternal life that he offers Jesus is the true and better Abraham. He's our heavenly father that offers a circumcision of the heart. Jesus is the true and better Isaac whose heavenly father led him up a mount, not called Moriah, but a mount called Golgotha, and he offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf and mine. Now, check this out. We can say now that we know God loves us because he did not withhold his son, his only son, whom he loves from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob. He offers us living water so that we will never thirst again. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, but now seated at the right hand of the king and willing and able to offer forgiveness and spiritual food to all who come to him. Jesus is the true and better Moses who serves as a redeemer of God's people, rescues us from the slavery of sin and is the mediator of a new covenant. He's the bridge between man and God. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb, slain for our transgressions, his blood now smeared on the doorposts of our homes so the eternal judgment of God passes over you and me. Jesus is the true and better manna. This is what he means in John 6, 35 when he says, I am the bread of life. He's a provision of daily spiritual food that eternally fills those who partake of him. Jesus is the true and better law in that he does not abolish the law, but he comes to fulfill the law, the entire law on our behalf and institutes a law of love. Jesus is the true and better Sabbath and invites us into eternal rest. Jesus is the true and better tabernacle in that God tabernacled with us in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus, or John means in John 1 14 when he says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice, not made over and over, but once for all, a sacrifice that clears our guilt and transgressions eternally. Jesus, praise God, is the true and better priest and priesthood, eternally interceding for us, able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses and giving us access to God's throne of grace. Jesus is the true and better year of jubilee, proclaiming spiritual freedom for captives and healing to all those who find refuge in him. Jesus is the true and better Joshua, able to lead God's people into the eternal rest of God. Jesus is the true and better temple. And though the old temple is destroyed, Jesus by his spirit makes our bodies God's living temple where we're able to worship God in spirit and truth. And when Israel failed to yield fruit, Jesus shows up in John chapter 15, and he says, I am the true and better vine that empowers us to yield fruit for God, fruit that will last. Jesus is the true and better prophet, speaking God's truth and justice and grace in and through his very life. And for our purposes today, Jesus is the true and better David from the lineage of of David, born in the city of David, and now this very moment ruling and reigning on the throne of David at the right hand of the Father. He is the king of kings, the fulfillment of all that was spoken through the entire Old Testament, the rightful occupant of the house of God's redemptive plan and the banquet host, and he invites us in to celebrate with him, and that is why the genealogy of Jesus matters. That's why it's in there. Pray. God, we lift you up and exalt you and worship you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, from the very beginning of time, you have been putting together a house of your redemptive plan to invite us into freedom and life and new hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. God, would you allow these truths to take root in our heart that we would see ourselves as part of your story, your redemptive plan, redemptive history that you've been sovereignly controlling for thousands of years. You're the Lion and the Lamb, Jesus, exalted to the right hand of the Father, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and we conclude our year together as Scottsdale Bible Church, celebrating you, Jesus, and lifting you up. You are the one and only. We love you today. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. Amen.